Welcome to the Spirit Restored Podcast. This is where the curiosities of spiritualism meet the belief systems of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This podcast is only for those with an open mind. Join Ken Adams on his quest to find higher planes of spiritual experience. Welcome to today's podcast. This is Spirit Restored. I'm your host, Ken Adams. And um, I remember my baptism when I was a little kid. I feel like I had a really good upbringing in the church. Not everyone has, but I have really fond memories of being brought up in the church. My parents were both really faithful members, good members, really great people. And um, I remember being a little kid. I was about to turn eight. And they asked me where I wanted to be baptized. And I thought for a long time about that. I said, I, and I asked, where where can I get baptized? They said, well, anywhere that you want to get baptized. And so I thought for a long time. And I started thinking about, you know, like when kids get baptized, it's really a special moment for them when they're eight years old in the church. And it can be really special. And I remember uh, my brother, my friends, stuff like that, they would get baptized and they get this like CTR ring. And if you don't know what CTR means, it means choose the right. And it's a ring that looks like a shield and it's green and it has the letters CTR on it. Well, I don't know if you know the history of the choose the right ring. Um, It started with the person that made the song Choose the Right, uh, I think his last name is Townsend, and he was a convert to the church. He actually was traveling from the eastern part of the United States and went to Utah for his health. And when he arrived in Utah and he was there studying at a university, he met the missionaries and he was a convert there in the 1800s. And that's when he wrote the song, Choose the Right. And this this wasn't when the rings were created, however. And that that was a little bit later. And, you know, like this concept of Choose the Right, I think is kind of funny. And, and one of the things that I remember growing up, my dad, he was a CES teacher. He was in seminary and institute. He, he taught seminary for a long time. He's still in institute right now. And he would have all these videos that he would bring home and we'd watch them. We'd watch all those CES produced videos. And if you don't know what CES means, it means church education system. And that's for the Mormon church. And uh, this one particular video was about this soldier, these two Roman soldiers, and they're going by a river and they have all this armor on. Yeah. And it's, it's describing the importance of wearing your armor. And there's even some New Testament scriptures about this called the armor of righteousness. And uh, one of the soldiers goes to the river and decides to take his armor off while the other one keeps his armor on. And while they're down at the river, right right as the one with his armor off, he's he's not looking anymore. There's some people that pop over the hill and they're like dressed in black and all scary looking and they have some arrows. And it just makes me think how we are constantly wanting to choose the right, you know, and, and to do the right thing in our life and behave in such a great way. And I feel like so many people, it's so difficult for them to choose the right, to actually behave in a way 
according to the commandments to get a temple recommend and all those kind of things. And I remember right after my baptism that my brother just started pestering me and trying to get me to sin because he wanted that ha ha moment, you know, where he could say, well, you're not so perfect after all and, and shove it in my face. I'm sure that's happened to a lot of you guys. And so this concept, I want to reimagine CTR. So play with it for a bit. I actually think there are some problems with the phrase, choose the right. I think it's a, a nice sentiment. I think it's great when we say, hey, let's be better people. Let's have higher standards. Let's focus on living higher standards. Well, there's some issues. Okay, here's the first issue, the first problem. How do you know when you are choosing the right? How do you know when you are right? And what if what is right is actually contrary to what you have read in the scriptures or contrary to a commandment? Now, you might be like saying right now, well, that would never be right if it's contrary to the commandments. Well, there's scriptures that say that that's not true. And the question really is, does God even follow these rules, right? If there's a commandment, does God sometimes break them? Well, here's the story of Nephi killing Laban. In 1 Nephi chapter 4, verse 10, and this goes through verse 14, for those of you that are not familiar with the Book of Mormon, uh, Nephi was the first prophet in the Book of Mormon, and they were leaving Jerusalem, and they needed to get the brass plates. The brass plates had the record of their family and ancient scripture on it so that they could always remember God and their genealogy. And it starts in verse 10. This is Nephi trying to get the plates. He'd been rejected a couple other times before this and hadn't been able to figure out how to get them. And so it says, and it came to pass that I was constrained by the spirit. So constrained by the spirit means prompted or really firmly prompted is really a better translation. So, and it came to pass that I was constrained by the spirit that I should kill Laban. So Laban was the guy that was holding onto the plates and keeping Nephi and his brothers from getting the plates. And he found him, Laban was drunk and passed out in front of his building and his sword was next to him. And so the spirit said he should kill Laban. And this is what Nephi said. But I said in my heart, never at any time have I shed the blood of man. And I shrunk and would that I might not slay him. And so for Nephi, it was like, I've never killed anyone. Why should I kill someone right now? And if you know the Ten Commandments, you know one of them is, thou shalt not kill. And the Spirit said unto me again, Behold, the Lord hath delivered him into thy hands. Yea, and I also knew that he had sought to take away mine own life. Yea, and he had would not hearken unto the commandments of the Lord. And he also had taken away our property. And it came to pass that the Spirit said unto me again, Slay him, for the Lord hath delivered him unto thy hands. So this is interesting, right? Because his reasoning that the Spirit is giving, giving him is that God delivered him in his hands. He tried to take your lives. He doesn't listen to the commandments of God. And he takes away... He's taken away your property. None of these are actual reasons not to, to kill someone. You know, like if we were in modern day society, the just the regular law, not the commands of God, would not allow someone to kill someone because they took your property, right? 
they, I mean, it's possible if someone was trying to take away someone else's life and, and they killed him in self-defense, but this is not an instance of self-defense at this time. The guy is passed out on the street and it came to pass other than verse 12. It came to pass that the spirit said unto me again, slay him for the Lord hath delivered him un, into thy hands. Behold, the Lord slayeth the wicked to bring forth his righteous purposes. It is better that one man should perish than that a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. So here's more of the reasoning that actually makes a little more sense is that they needed these records and the only, really the Lord is saying the only way to get these records is to actually kill him. And so, um, and now when I, Nephi, had heard these words, I remembered the words of the Lord, which he spake unto me in the wilderness, saying that, Inasmuch as thy seed shall keep my commandments, they shall prosper in the land of promise. So there's this promise, right? A covenant that God has made with Nephi to keep the commandments and they'll prosper in the land of promise. So basically, Nephi's using this um, desire to choose the right to keep a different commandment which is just to follow the Lord, whatever he tells him to do. And so he ends up slaying Laban, cuts off his head, puts on his clothes, and convinces Laban's servant to give him the brass plates. Now, this is a really interesting story because the commandment was thou shalt not kill, and Nephi clearly killed uh, for the purposes of the Lord. And so does God follow always the rules? Does God always follow what's written as what's right in the scriptures? And according to this, according to what the Spirit was saying, is the Lord slayeth the wicked to bring forth its righteous purposes. So it's kind of like if people are in the way, God will take care of it, essentially. So that's like one issue with the phrase choose the right. And there's there's other issues inherent in that in what we just read, right? But that's one issue is how do you know when you are choosing the right and how do you know it's right? Because it could actually, what's right could actually be contrary to what's in the scriptures or contrary to the commandments. So here's problem number two with choose the right. Behavior does not matter. And this is probably something that is really uncomfortable for a lot of people to hear that grew up LDS. Your behavior does not matter. It doesn't matter at all. All it matters for, all it's useful for, and, and when I say it doesn't matter, I yes, there are consequences for behavior. Yes, people um, have limitations because of their behavior. People do end up get thrown into prison or things like that, right? But if you're only focusing on your behavior, if you're if you're making behavior the most important part of choosing the right, then you're missing the point. And the point is that behavior is only feedback. It's only data. It's just data letting us know that our beliefs are faulty. So the beliefs cause behavior. And let me give you an example. If there's, so just here in my town, we had an instance where uh, someone woke up and their truck had was empty. There was no gas in it, and it had gas in it the day before. And someone came and siphoned their gas out of the gas tank. And why would someone behave that way is the question, right? Well, they would behave that way because they believe in scarcity. They believe in poverty. They believe that they're not going to be able to get the resources they need in a way that's a win for them and other people. And so they act in ways that are congruent with that belief, 
So they've they've been deceived to believe that there's no abundance in the world, that everything's scarce, and so they go and rob. Yeah. So if someone gets caught for that, and the police show up and they charge them with a fine or they arrest them, whatever it is, that's not going to change their behavior because punishing someone for their behavior doesn't actually do anything. You, They actually have to analyze their beliefs. They have to look at their beliefs and change their beliefs in order to change the behavior. Because if they had the belief of, you know, no matter what happens in this society, no, no matter what's going on, everything's an opportunity for me to win, then they would never even consider stealing someone's gas. And so this happens all the time. And we can talk about any kind of sin that we look at, any kind of behavior, it's always going to be rooted in a belief. And when we think about our beliefs, we can have beliefs that are faulty, that are lies, that we've been deceived and we've adopted a lie and we behave accordingly to that lie. Yeah. So one example in the scriptures is when Alma, the youngest, is talking to his son who was on a mission and while on a mission, he committed fornication. He slept with a woman while being a missionary. So the interesting thing is that Alma the Younger, and this this is in Alma, I believe, 30, I mean, at least 36, probably like 34 to, no, probably 35, 36, 37, somewhere around there. Yeah, all the way to like 42 or something. And Alma is teaching his younger, his, his son, yeah, and he's not scolding him for his behavior. He does say in there that sexual sin is a serious trans transgression, but he's not scolding him the whole time about how bad he is, how unworthy he is, how terrible he is for that feedback. What he does instead is he teaches him the plan of salvation. And when you know the plan of salvation, you start to know the truth of who you are. You learn the truth of what real beliefs, the beliefs that you should have. Yeah. And so he was teaching the truth of good beliefs because that would unravel the lies that he believed that would lead to his behavior of fornication. So he likely, in my op own opinion, his son likely didn't know his eternal worth and looked to feel worthwhile in other behaviors. Because what happens so much is unconsciously in your soul, in your spirit, right? Unconsciously, you know that you're limitless. Unconsciously, you know that you are close to God, that you are similar to God, if not just like him. And consciously, though, you might not be seeing that. You might not know that consciously. You might not have made that connection yet. And when you haven't made that connection, but you unconsciously know that, but you don't know it consciously, then you're going to try and get the feeling of having worth through whatever means you can find, whatever means you believe you deserve. And so for Alma, the younger son, yeah, he decided to look for it in sex. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that do this now these days because with, with the advent of pornography and other things, sex is cheap. And there's a lot of people that believe that there's scarcity, that it's too difficult to have our dreams, to accomplish what we want to do, to live the life that we want to live. And so looking for an outlet to feel rewarded is what a lot of people do. And the cheapest way to feel rewarded is through sex because it's so pervasive and it's available everywhere. Sex and food is also another really big one 
That and probably debating and arguing on social media is another one of those behaviors that I see all the time. Or drugs, alcohol, yeah. All of these are behaviors that people do to try and feel worthwhile again, to try and feel rewarded for all of their efforts. Because when people have addictions specifically, and you know, maybe addiction isn't even the right word, they just have a pattern of behavior, they are constantly working against that pattern of behavior and it's exhausting and all that work they want to be rewarded for all the hard work they're doing for resisting their pattern of behavior and so then they will reward themselves with the addictive reward be it food sex alcohol drugs whatever it is yeah so and this is all based in a belief and when someone unravels the lies they believe about themselves when they unravel the things that are not true that they've believed about themselves, things like they're not an abundant person, they're not a creator, they're not worthwhile, they're not able to overcome what they want to overcome, that it's going to be too hard, it's impossible for all these things. When they believe those lies, it's just going to feed into behavior. So you can't help someone live righteously by controlling their behavior. That's never going to work. You actually have to help them change their beliefs. And that is essentially what repentance is. Repentance is not changing your behavior. Repentance is changing how you view yourself, God, and the world. And that is in the Bible dictionary if you're wondering where that definition is from. So here's the third problem with choosing the right. Choosing the right can lead to blind obedience. So this this is a difficult thing, right? Because... So many religions and cults have used this kind of reasoning to get the people to follow them, yeah? And it has quite a bit of a risk, yeah? So, you know, historically, right, when people are obedient without question, then there have been some really tragic consequences. One of those awful stories comes with the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid. You've probably heard that phrase before. Well, that was a cult that was predicting the end of days and they the leader of the cult took them to south america one of the islands like south america somewhere i don't know if it was costa rica or something like that and uh, the government was coming down to investigate the cult and when a senator landed they immediately shot the senator and killed him and then they knew they were really in big trouble so the leader of the cult went back and told everyone to drink the Kool-Aid, which was laced with poison, so that when they found these people, they were all dead. And that's because they were choosing the right. They were doing what the leader told them. So um, this this can be problematic when, when everybody has this mentality of, oh, I just got to choose the right, yeah? And here in, in the LDS Church, we have prophets, and prophets command things and lead the church and tell us what to do or what not to do. Now, the thing is, we that story that I told you, right, about the Kool-Aid, well, people say, well, that's never happened in our church, right? Like, that's really extreme. And I agree with you, it is pretty extreme. But and sometimes we do forget the tragedies that did happen in church history when the pioneers were crossing the plains, for example. So, for example, one of my distant relatives, it, it was an aunt of mine, yeah, was part of the group that fled Nauvoo. And she was very pregnant and she had a husband and she had a young child and 
Riot is there fleeing Nauvoo. Riot is, you know, this is after Joseph Smith just died. Brigham Young was leading everybody to winter quarters. They're fleeing Nauvoo. And Brigham Young calls her husband on a mission. And I just, uh, I can't imagine what that was like. Yeah, because being in a situation where they have to flee their home in the middle of winter um, from an angry mob and telling a pregnant woman that she has to say goodbye to her husband and the husband agreeing because it was the right thing to do, going on a mission. And he went to England, actually. It wasn't like he was just going to Boston or something. Like, like he traveled across the seas to go to England. And so she was on her own. Well, she ends up losing her three-year-old child to an illness. Um, she ends up giving birth to the child and the child died, the newborn. She very nearly died herself. And also she was... Um, she had a sister wife that her husband was practicing polygamy and the sister wife died and she was all alone. And she wrote that the only reason she didn't die was because she couldn't. That was the only reason. And finally her husband comes back while they're still on the trail and catches up to them. And there is somewhat of a bright side of the story because he came back with a lot of supplies that the pioneers didn't have and he was able to bring food and clothing and blankets and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you can imagine the kind of struggle that was there by choosing to go on a mission. And and actually, in my own, another example in my family history, my great-grandfather, his name is John, he was upset about his father uh, being a member of the church. He, My grandpa John eventually left the church, um, when in his fifties or something like that, but he was upset at the church because his dad kept getting called on missions while he was a child. And this was before missionaries served at 19 years old, 18, 19 years old. Um, they were, they would serve however many missions and go overseas. And at that, that time he writes about how his mother didn't have any money and she was trying to make ends meet by ironing clothes, sewing clothes, stuff like that with all the kids and he was always a little bit bitter about his dad leaving all the time on a mission. So I think when it comes to this, like choosing the right, yeah, following the prophet and things like that, I think it's a very personal decision that people need to ponder for themselves. Yeah. And as we teach in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you really need to pray to know if the current prophet is the prophet of God. And I would even do that every time there's a new prophet called. And ever, if you have a doubt, pray to figure that out if it is someone that's there. But not only pray, also, I'll talk about this soon as well, evaluate the things that they're teaching to make sure that it is beneficial to you. And so this is another problem with the phrase, choose the right. I think it can lead people to blind obedience. It can lead people to um, also not really fixing their behavior, like focusing too much on behavior is the problem and not the beliefs is the problem. And also like, how did, how do they know that what someone else says is right is actually right. Or maybe it's something else. Right. And that it can be a very personal decision. So this is what I want to do. I want to reimagine, choose the right CTR reimagined. Yeah. Okay. So for these reasons, I believe that Choose the Right should heretofore be renamed to Choose the Results, yeah? 
And before making a choice in our lives, we need to step back and evaluate the effects that that choice will have in all areas of our lives. Yeah. And we want to look and say, okay, if I'm, I'm going to be following the prophet, I'm going to be making this choice. I think the spirit's telling me something, right? Uh, I want to follow a commandment. You want to look at all areas of your life. Look at your life financially. Look at it in your health. Look at in your relationship with your spouse, your time that you're spending with your family. Yeah. And start to evaluate if what you're doing is helping everybody. Yeah. And so if you're looking at a choice of behavior, that's what you need to be starting to choose. You also need to start looking at your beliefs, what you believe about life, what you believe about um, what you can do in this life, what your eternal identity is, and how that eternal identity that you believe about yourself takes shape in your own life. And so the thing is that we're taught in the scriptures to not just believe everything that the prophets tell us to do. That sounds really weird to say it that way, but it's true. And even Jesus Christ says something very important. Like if we read in the Book of Mormon, and I'll use the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament, and the Book of Mormon to give examples. Here's in the Book of Mormon. Alma 32, verse 27, it says, But behold, if ye will awake and arouse your faculties, even to an experiment upon my words, and exercise a particle of faith, Yea, even if you can no more than desire to believe, let this desire work in you, even until you believe in a manner that you can give place for the portion of my words. The key word in this is exercise and experiment. Experiment upon my words, yeah? This is the prophet Alma the Younger saying, hey, I'm saying something. I don't want you to just believe it because I say it. I want you to actually apply it, yeah? Use faith to see if it's true. And if it's true then it will grow fruit to you. You'll see that it's true. Okay, another example in the Old Testament is the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10. This is the famous scripture about tithing. And it says, And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So if you're someone who's paying tithing or stop paying tithing and you want to get back to paying tithing, or maybe you're skeptical, right? I would say, try it. See if the counsel is true. Pay your tithing and see if there's uh, the windows of heaven pour out upon you a blessing. Yeah. See if that happens for you. Yeah. That's a good way to see if a commandment is helpful or not. Yeah. Just do it. Try it out. You don't have to say it'll happen every time. But the key with the behavior yeah, of paying tithing is that it's also rooted in a belief. And if you're paying tithing with a scarcity mindset of, oh, I'm reluctantly giving my money away, then you'll be returned with scarcity. But if you're paying tithing with the belief of, I have more than I need and God will provide even more and abundantly, and you pay tithing in that way, then you will receive abundantly. Yeah, because paying tithing isn't about the money. It's actually about your beliefs. It's about what you believe about poverty. Yeah. And when you get that, when you understand that beliefs about scarcity and poverty poverty keep people in bondage, yeah, it makes them think that there's not enough in this world and they start behaving in weird ways like stealing gas out of someone's gas tank. When you realize that he's not actually 
taking your money, right? Like asking you to give all your money. It's actually a principle to teach you abundance and what your true nature is as a creator, someone who gives and receives abundantly, then that's going to make a huge difference for you. So Jesus Christ said this in John 7, 17 in the New Testament. And this is where you need to start thinking of CTR as choose the results, right? We're looking at the results results of our lives that come from our actions. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. So what Jesus Christ is saying, try it out, try it out, choose, you know, follow my commandments, do my will and see if the blessings come. Yeah. See if the blessings come, see if it's of God or not. And when you do that, you're going to find out. And Jesus even taught, you know, beware false prophets. So they are, because they are sheep or wolves in sheep's clothing and by their fruits, you shall know them. Yeah. So he's saying, you need to uh, look at the fruits of what's going on. You need to actually exercise on the word to give it a try. Yeah. Experiment on the word. Try it out. Yeah. And prove Christ, prove God of the truthfulness of what it is. And then you're going to know if it's a good thing to do or not. Yeah. So even Joseph Smith, when he was practicing polygamy, and I know in the last episode, I said, I don't know if I really believe polygamy is inspired. That's my opinion. You can have a different opinion because it is so controversial in many of the stories with polygamy. And you could definitely see it where it was totally inspired and other times where it wasn't inspired. This is an example where it could have been inspired. So um, Joseph Smith goes up to, oh man, I, I can't remember her name. There's just a lot of wives that Joseph Smith had, like 34 of them. One of the wives, yeah, and he went up to her and before she was his wife and she told him, or he told her that he was commanded by the Lord that she should marry him. And she said, well, if it's so important, then why didn't God tell me? Because I don't, I didn't get an answer for myself. I'm not just going to follow you because I'm not just going to marry you because you told me to. And so Joseph Smith said, well, you're going to get your answer. So you should pray about it and you'll receive an answer and get a message. So she went and prayed about it and she didn't get an answer. And Joseph Smith approached her again. And she's like, no, I didn't get any, any answer. And he's like, are you sure? He said, why don't you do it again? So she went and prayed again, and that night, an angel came into her room and was hovering above her bed, and even her aunt, which was she was sleeping next to her, had noticed that there was a celestial being in the room, and uh, they were scared and hid under the blankets, so the angel didn't actually deliver the message. Well, the next day, Joseph Smith said, did, did you have a visitor? And she goes, uh, no, she lies. And Joseph Smith goes, well, that's interesting. I was told that you did have a visitor. And she then confesses and said, yeah, I did. I saw an angel. Um, he didn't say anything to me. And why Why didn't he say anything to me? And Joseph Smith said, well, it's because you were scared. You, you hid your face from the angel, and the angel wasn't going to say anything until you were ready for the message. So there are examples like that, right? It's even Joseph Smith with polygamy wasn't just like, you know, it, well, you do it because I say so. Right. It's like there, he actually told women that disagreed. He said, go pray for it and see, see if it blesses you or not. So ultimately I think that if we're looking at our behavior, yeah, 
which really we should be looking at our beliefs. But if we're looking at our behavior and we're choosing if we should uh, live in a certain way or do a certain behavior, we need to think about if our choices are leading us to becoming more like Jesus Christ or not. Yeah. And if when, when we make becoming like him our goal, then we'll have great results that are accompanied with it. And so here's an interesting question that goes with this, right? Because we've talked about um, this idea that beliefs are more important than behavior because our behavior just follows our beliefs. When we believe in abundance, we'll give and receive freely. When we believe that everyone's a child of God, we won't be stealing from them. We won't be robbing them. When we believe that we are like Jesus Christ and that our nature is to be like him, then there's a lot of behavior we wouldn't do. We would just do the things that are most helpful in life. Yeah. So the question is, why have commandments then? Right. Why have commandments? And I think that commandments are given to us when it, even though we don't really understand the beliefs that should accompany them or the outcomes that go with them, but it's similar to kind of like how parents say, Hey, don't touch the stove. It's really hot. It could burn your fingers, you know? And then kids inevitably, I mean, I remember being a little kid in a car with a, a lot, the cigarette lighter in the car and pushing it in so it got really hot, then pulling it out and it was bright orange. And I was like, huh, I wonder what, why it's so bright orange. So I touched it with my finger and I burnt myself, right? So eventually kids, you know, they do need to know why the commandments exist or why the rules exist, but they're also just going to be there from the beginning to protect us. And I do think that um, these commandments do protect us. I believe that being sober, practicing fidelity, keeping the law of the land and tithing are all helpful behaviors. I think it helps people live a good life and a safe life, but it's not really sustainable for people that don't understand why the behaviors are important. And so think of it this way. Think of keeping commandments. Think of righteousness, obedience, choosing, choosing the right, you might say. Think, think of obedience, and this is why I think CTR should be reimagined as choose the results, yeah? Think of obedience as a result of getting to know Christ, yeah? Obedience happens as you get to know Jesus Christ. And there's some scriptures to back this up. So in the book 2 John, New Testament, chapter 2, verse 3, it says, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. There it is. If you know Jesus Christ, you keep his commandments. Verse four, he that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. I couldn't have said that better myself. Honestly, if someone is saying they know God, but they're not keeping the commandments then they actually don't know him. And when it says the truth is not in him, it, it's because they don't actually know their divine identity. They don't know who they are. They don't know the relationship they have between them and God and Jesus Christ they haven't come to the truth. And that's the truth that will set them free. Until they know that truth, they will be surrounded by lies. And that's why this person who says they know God but doesn't keep commandments is a liar because their behavior would match the truths that they know. And so in verse five, it says, but whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So when you keep the word, it's because 
you have the love of God perfected inside of you. Yeah. It's thinking of obedience as a result of getting to know Christ. And of course, you can definitely, as we talked about, you can experiment upon the words, you can experiment upon the commandments and see if they give you the results you want. And that will definitely help you get to know God. But it's also, it, when you find those people where it seems like keeping the commandments is effortless, it's really easy for them to have a temple recommend, it's really easy for them to live righteously, have a good relationship and all of that. It's probably because they've, they're getting to know God and the, the truth of their true identity is within them. And Jesus Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I think that is so true. When we love God, we will naturally keep his commandments. When we love Jesus Christ, we'll naturally do what he says. And that's a result of loving him. That's not uh, just keeping the commandments so that we can show we love him. It's you learn to love him and then you follow him. Because here's, here's a really interesting law that I think is a really definitely a law. It's that you obey what you love. Yeah. So if, if someone wants to make more money, then my advice to them is that they need to obey the commandments or the laws that make more money, yeah, that they can produce more value. And some of those are, you know, you set up a business, you create value, make an offer really clear, you start marketing, you know, the principles of marketing, you make everything a win-win for everyone involved, right? You follow those laws, but a lot of people don't actually do that because they don't like to put themselves out there. They don't like the pressure of a sales call. They don't like uh, the possibility of failure. But if they loved actually getting building wealth and being wealthy enough, then they would do the commandments of the law of becoming wealthy. So that's an example. And that applies in all areas of life. When you understand that, then you understand that whatever you love, you follow. And that's really the principle. When you love Jesus Christ, you follow him. Yeah. And you can experiment and follow him and see if that helps you love him more. But also the truth is, in order to follow him easily and effortlessly, you need to love him. And ultimately, the more we get to know God and his son, Jesus Christ, the easier it will be to obey them. In this sense, the commandments are simply a feedback tool that helps us know how well we know God. If being obedient is difficult to you, then trying harder to be obedient isn't going to solve the problem for you. The only way to solve the problem is to get to know God and his son, Jesus Christ, and change your beliefs about your own identity. And in John 7, 17, it says, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. This is the purpose of life, right? Is to get to know God and his son, Jesus Christ. And when you know them, then it will be easier to follow them. So here is why you disobe disobey. Here's why you might be disobedient. It's simple. You don't know who you are. You believe lies about your true nature, and you're breaking at least one of the three great commandments. And when I say the three great commandments, I believe these are the only real commandments that exist. All of the other commandments are subsidiary to these. But the commandments are to love God with all your heart, might, mind, and strength. So that's number one. To love your neighbor, that's number two. And, and love your neighbor as yourself. Number three is to love yourself, yeah? And to love your neighbor as yourself. And so those are the three great commandments. And if, if you are struggling to be obedient, it's because you either don't know and love God with all your heart, mind, mind, and strength, or you don't 
know and love yourself with all your heart, mind, mind, and strength, or you don't know and love your neighbor with all your heart, mind, mind, and strength. If you truly love God and you get to know yourself and love your neighbor, when you truly know yourself, you will be like Moses in the book of Moses, chapter one, verse 12, when Moses saw a vision of God and then Satan immediately came to tempt him. And it says in chapter, in verse 12, it says, and it came to pass that when Moses had said these words, behold, Satan came tempting him saying, Moses, son of man, worship me. Verse 13, it says, and it came to pass that Moses looked upon Satan and said, who art thou? For behold, I am a son of God in the similitude of his only begotten. And where is thy glory that I should worship thee? So Moses is basically saying, I know who you are. You're a nobody, but me, I'm a son of God. I'm in the similitude of Jesus Christ. And after that, verse 16, it says, get thee hence, Satan, deceive me not. For God said unto me, thou art after the similitude of mine only begotten. When you truly know that you are after the similitude of Jesus Christ, when you are after his likeness, when you are when you know you're just like him in power, in in ability, in character, in how you were created, yeah, then it's going to be really easy for you to live the life that you want to have because you'll only be disobedient when you don't know that truth. When you don't know that you're like Jesus Christ, when you don't know that you're already like God, that you that when we see him again, we'll be like him, as it says in Moroni chapter 7. When you don't know that, then that's when you disobey. And the solution to being able to live a righteous life is to actually get to know God, his truth, and to truly love yourself and truly love your neighbor. So let's talk about whether or not we should be following President Nelson. All right, this is a good topic, right? Because given everything that we've talked about, I want to evaluate some things that he's talked about in conference recently. Here's a quote from him. In coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. He said this in 2018. Yeah, this was two years before coronavirus, and four years before the, this current podcast. And if you know anything about what's happened the last two years, right, it's been a very challenging ride of ups and downs of the economy, of war, of all kinds of stuff, right? And he's basically, he gave us this warning two years before it happened to get prepared spiritually because we won't, people won't survive spiritually, yeah, uh, unless they have the comforting and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. This quote alone has allowed me to trust him because he's actually putting the onus on us to follow the Spirit because there is so much turbulence in the world. Yeah. And, and another thing that he said is in one of his talks recently, it says, let God prevail. Yeah. Instead of solely relying on the church for our spiritual help, we need to rely on God to prevail in our lives. The fact that he's teaching us to listen to the Holy Ghost, to figure out what's, what's right for us, and to let God prevail in our lives. I am noticing that he's teaching us actual eternal truths that can help us reveal our true identity of who we are and um, choose the right by following the Holy Ghost instead of just doing what everybody else is telling you to do in the church. I think he's leading us in the right direction. And really following a prophet for me is a matter of trust, but I'm also going to listen to what he's saying and with my own mind, say, yeah or no. So far, I haven't had any reason to say no to President Nelson. And um, 
I would say that we have much less harping on the members in general conference as well these days. And I think that's a great thing. I don't think we need general authorities to come down upon the behavior of the members in the church. All that we need to focus on is faith and repentance and actual beliefs that people have. So, you know, my brother was pestering me at my baptism, right? He wanted me to sin and disobey. And I turned over to him. I remember being in the car and I remember calling him like a butthead or stupid or something like that. And he got his ha-ha moment, you know, he's like, ha, you sinned, you sinned, you're not perfectly clean, right? And I think at that moment I was upset, right? Because I loved that feeling of having been baptized and being all clean and all that and not having any flaws that it was difficult to then say, oh man, now I've sinned, right? But really it's not realistic to not sin. We're constantly in a state of sin because we're not in the presence of God. Until you know exactly who you are and you can be in the presence of God, you're in a state of sin. And it's it's like that soldier, right? He took off his armor and he was at the water, at the river. And then these guys in black came over and they shot these arrows. And the arrows were deflected by the one that had a shield and armor and the other one got shot with the arrows and died and fell in the river. Kind of like a weird video for CES actually. But there's something in the scripture when it talks about the armor of righteousness is that there's something they have is they wield the, the sword of truth. And I think wielding the sword of truth, which is really understanding your true identity of who you are, that you are like God, that you are like Jesus Christ already. And making that a really core part of what you do every day is learning to love yourself, learning to love God. That that sort of truth is actually going to be th the thing that protects you even more than just trying to obey. And so CTR, that ring, yeah, it was actually introduced by Helen Aldridge. It was a primary general board member in the 1960s. She designed it. And in 1970, a committee chaired by Naomi W. Randall recommended the inclusion of the shield and logo into official church material and to be given to children when they were baptized. Yeah, and so that's that's why I always knew other kids that had this ring, right, when they got baptized. They loved it. It helped remind them of what they were choosing to do in their life was to choose the right. And um, I got that after my baptism. And actually, I did. I never said where I was baptized. I was baptized, and you'll never believe this, right? Because they actually don't do baptisms there anymore. I was, I was living in Boise, Idaho at the time, but I told my parents that I wanted to be baptized in the tabernacle in Temple Square. And my parents looked at each other and were like, do they do baptisms there? I have no idea if they actually do them. And it's just because I had seen the tabernacle and I thought that'd be a cool place. Well, it turns out they did have a baptismal font in the tabernacle at Temple Square and they were able to schedule me. It was like a month after my birthday or something, but I had family there and I was baptized there and it was a great experience and everything. I just wish that I had known back then that, um, well, maybe it was difficult that age at eight, eight years old to understand this, but I think it's an important thing that beliefs are more important than just our actions. And that when we believe the right things, when we know the truth and we're getting the results that we want by living according to that truth, right? Because you'll, you'll know you're living according to truth based on the results you're getting in your life. Yeah. If things aren't working out, then there's probably a lie that you're believing. When we can change that, 
then we can live a lot more happily. Well, thank you for listening today. This was another long episode, a lot of detail on this, and a lot of interesting content. Please like and share this podcast. Um, Continue to share it with people, especially people that you know that might be struggling to get a temple recommend or people that might be struggling with some kind of an addiction or addictive behavior. Share it with them. I'd love for them to hear this. And uh, you can definitely reach out to me if you have more questions about this. If you're someone that struggles with behavior, um, that is also something I do as a career is I help people change their beliefs so that their behavior changes by using uh, advanced mental technology. So reach out to me with those questions, share this podcast, let others listen to it. This will be extremely helpful for them as they navigate how to be righteous again. Thank you for listening and we'll talk next Sunday. Ken loves to get feedback from his audience. Send him a private message or write a review so that he can discuss topics that are most relevant to your spiritual experience. Thank you for listening today and remember to join next week.